welcome to a special edition of Between the Headphones, Behind Enemy Bylines, the preseason preview podcast. I'm Owen Wharton, your host for this podcast miniseries, where I'll talk with several student journalists from a few of Georgia's opponents for the 2023 season. Next up is Jackson Reyes from Florida, Georgia's eighth opponent of the season. All right, and welcome back to another episode of the preseason preview podcast. Today, we've got uh, someone interesting joining me. Uh, we've got a uh, classic rivalry and uh, very excited to be working with him, uh, especially on the rivalry edition later in this semester. But Jackson, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Jackson Reyes. I'm the sports editor at the Independent Florida Alligator, which is the student newspaper uh, at the University of Florida. Uh, I'm a journalism senior here at UF. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to you know, come on the pod and uh, talk some Gators. I mean, yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm pumped to have you. And uh, this is an episode I've been really excited for because, I mean, let alone the Georgia-Florida rivalry is always a good one. But, I mean, gosh, it's a, it's a really interesting team, especially going into the second year of Billy Napier. But before we even go into the second year of him, we got to go in the first year. We got to recap that. So go ahead and talk to me a little bit about how was the season for Florida last year? You know, what were some of the ups and downs and highlights of that season? Yeah, last season was certainly, uh, you know, one to be forgotten for most Florida fans in the, the year one of Billy Napier. You know, started off with a bang, upsetting Utah uh, in pretty dramatic fashion uh, in the swamp last season to open the season. Uh, you know, Anthony Richardson, you know, he puts the country on notice with some pretty fantastic highlight plays, especially when he had that two-point conversion where he rolls out from two defenders, finds a wide-open wide receiver, uh, had some great touchdown runs and then obviously there's the interception to to seal the game at the very end so you have all that hype first week uh florida shoots up into the from non-ranked to top 15 Uh, and then kind of from there uh it was just up and down for the rest of the season they never really were able to build a lot of momentum uh whether that was from anthony richardson's inconsistencies at quarterback uh as talented as he was uh, you know, he he often struggled at certain times. And then obviously the defense, uh, they had one of the worst third down defenses in the country last season. And they just really struggled uh, to get teams off the field. Um, and we saw that hurt them in a lot of ways. And so ultimately, uh, they had a lot of one score games, a lot of close losses. It seems like Tennessee, teams like Florida State, uh, they did make a bowl game. Uh, but that was honestly... Probably their worst loss of the season. Nearly got shut out by Oregon State with uh, Jack Miller as the quarterback. Uh, but yeah, finish year one to six and seven. Um, Anthony Richardson was probably one of the highlights of the year. Just getting to watch him play, uh, it was such a delight. Just because even with the inconsistencies, he's just such an athletic freak. You know, that's the only real way to describe him. That you know, even when the team wasn't playing well, he was still fun to watch. Uh, so yeah, so six and seven. Uh, trying to look to improve going into year two of Billy Napier. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you nailed it on the head. Anthony Richardson is such a fun player to watch. And I mean, there is a very good reason he went forward to the Colts because I mean, he's got kind of everything that you'd want out of a quarterback and he would flash that so many times last year. You know, he just, just ultimately couldn't put it together. You know, the, the wide receiving group was a little bit lackluster. And I think, I think there were, obviously the team was not perfect and if it was they wouldn't have won only six games um but there was definitely some pieces and there's definitely going to be some pieces coming back to this team but before we can even talk about that I want to get I want to get to uh to the coaching staff you know I know there were a few moves a few things uh that moved around a few guys left but 
Go ahead and detail me uh, what what's it looking like on Billy's staff. Yeah, so really there were two, uh, I feel like, notable changes for the most part. The, the smaller one is just Corey Raymond. He was you know brought in from LSU. He's this highly touted coach last season, uh, but he only coached the safeties. Going into this season, he's taken over the entire secondary. Uh, so you know, hopefully with him coaching the entire secondary defensive backs, corners, safeties, uh, they'll be able to see some improvement there. And then obviously uh, the big one, Austin Armstrong, the new defensive coordinator. Uh, I, I know a lot of people were, were sort of a little cautious when he first joined just because a lot of people wanted a more maybe either flashy hire or a more experienced guy because Austin is uh, not only uh, a very young defensive coordinator, uh, but he is one that hasn't doesn't have the longest resume, uh, but I think if you look at some of his stats uh, when he was the D.C. over at Southern Miss, uh, he, he coached a really impressive team. Uh, you know, he was also uh, formerly an assistant at Georgia, uh, you know, helping coaching those defenses uh, very recently. So I, I think he's a guy who really understands, you know, a lot of different schemes very well, and he knows how to attack an offense. Uh, I mean, you know, he he has a lot of knowledge on even how to coach against, you know, Florida's offense when they had guys like Trask and Pitts and Tony. Um, when one of their more you know talented years offensively, uh, and so and you like you look at some of his stats. Uh, I have him pulled up here from Southern Miss. You know, they they ranked third nationally in tackles for loss, fifth in sacks, seventh in interceptions. Uh, and that was in 2022. Um, and obviously they're not playing SEC opponents. They're playing in the Sun Belt, but I, I don't think that changes the fact that you know he knows how to coach a defense, and I, I think that's just something that that Florida really needs. Uh, because, you know, the areas they struggled in is they couldn't get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, they couldn't get stops on third down. Um, and that just really hurt them everywhere else. You know, when you're not getting pressure on the quarterback, uh, you can have the best secondary in the world. But, you know, wide receivers, if they have that much time, they're probably going to find separation. No, absolutely. And Florida's defense, I did, I do think, left a lot to be desired from last season. Um, I, it just didn't kind of play to the way you thought it would. And I know, I know Billy Napier. I mean, obviously he's more of an offensive guy, so I'm not going to put that on him at all. But you know, I thought I thought it would come together a little bit more. But I mean, ultimately, you're bringing in somebody that that has a really good track record, and I'm excited to see what he can do for this team. Um, but you know, we talked a lot about coaches leaving. You know, you got some new coaches coming in, but and we also talked a lot about Anthony Richardson, of course, number four overall pick, and I'm sure you'll even get more into him, but. Alongside Richardson, who were some of the guys that did depart this team, whether it was through the draft like Richardson or even through the transfer portal? Yeah, I, I, I'll say real quick, because you know, I could go on forever about Richardson, so I'll talk about some of the other guys first. Um, I'd say two of the bigger losses they had through the draft were uh, you know, Edge, Jervon Dexter. Uh, I think he was a really explosive player, obviously a super talented player, um, who I think they'll miss a lot because – even as they struggled trying to get pressure on the quarterback and, you know, attacking the run game, I think he was one of the few right spots that, you know, was able to do that at times. Um, I look at a guy like um, Osiris Torrance, who was just such a huge help on that offensive line. Uh, you know, Florida's run game between AR, um, Montreal Johnson, and Trevor Etienne, you know, they, they just had such a good run attack. And that was behind a guy like Osiris Torrance, uh, who was just so good and, you know, obviously an All-American player. And then, you know, going into Anthony Richardson, um, you know, he had his ups and downs, he had his inconsistencies, but I, I think you just, you look at that potential and you look at his athleticism, you look at that cannon of an arm he had, 
Um, and that's just a massive loss. Uh, no two ways about it. I, I know his stats, like on paper, weren't the best in the world, but I mean that was his first season starting. Um, you know, it is against SEC competition, and you look at some of his games where he was just outstanding, and you look at some of his more uh, his rougher outings. Yeah, you look at the Georgia game. I mean, I don't think any quarterback really had a, a great game against Georgia, if we're being honest. So I, I don't think I don't know how much I can hold that one against him. Um, you look at the Florida State game, and I, I know if a Florida State fan were listening to this, I, they'd just say that I'm making excuses, but I, I think it really was unfortunate that a, a lot of his wide receivers and a lot of his pass catchers were injured that game. Uh, obviously, he had Ricky Pearsall, but after that, um, you know, the second, third, fourth wide receivers, they were not playing in that game. Um, and it was kind of like that towards the end of the season where the team was just so banged up, there were just not a lot of guys for Anthony Richardson to actually throw to. Um, and then obviously, you know, he made a lot of mistakes and he had some games that were, you know, inexcusable, like the Kentucky game. But I think overall the good outweighed the bad. And if he were to have come back for another season, uh, I think we would have seen a, a much improved, much more polished player. But obviously a guy as talented as that, you know, you can't hold him back from going to the draft. And so uh, I totally understood the move. Um, so that'll be a major loss. And then in the transfer portal, uh, I wouldn't say they had too many major losses. Obviously, players left, uh, but it was a lot of players who were not getting a lot of playing time, a lot of backups um, who just weren't really part of Napier's either scheme or culture fit, uh, things like that. I'd say probably the worst loss, in my opinion, was maybe Antoine Powell over Island. Uh, he was an edge player. He just added some experience um, to a team that was pretty young, so him leaving, I, I'd say, hurt a little bit. But other than that, I, I look at the transfer portal losses, and I'd say besides obviously losing depth, which I think they gained back through guys they got from the transfer portal and uh, the recruiting class, um, I, I think the main losses are through the draft with obviously Torrance, AR, and Jervon Dexter. No, definitely. And, 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 and Dexter, I mean, one of those athletic freaks, former five-star, I believe, and, and one of those guys that I'm really excited to see what he can do in the NFL now that – you know, he's got, he doesn't have so many coaches kind of coming in and out and, and that rotational stuff and really gets to work with someone, especially in Chicago, that he can really kind of develop and really focus on stuff. And I'm excited to see what he can do. But on that Georgia point, I mean, I think we saw maybe one quarterback play well against Georgia, and that was C.J. Stroud. And I think that's why he went number two, um, because of how well he actually did play in that game. Um, and it, but it really is a testament to show how good Georgia's defense was, and you really just can't fault many quarterbacks for not playing well. I mean, Hendon Hooker did not play well, and he was uh, a high, and he was drafted fairly highly as a quarterback. You know, um, I think I think it's just tough to play well against that. So I don't think you can really fault Anthony Richardson. And again, a lot a lot of drops by his wide receivers, a lot of a lot of weird route running at times like that. I know when when I was scouting and stuff like that, and. You know, I mean, there's going to be another year for those guys, and it's exciting to see what they can do. But I think, I think it was definitely a tough year for Richardson um, with the piece with certain pieces around him. But I mean, yeah, Ecky, I mean, you, you had you had a really just great guard that that was so good, and the fact that he went where he did was so surprising for me because I thought he was really good, and he was so good before transferring to Florida too. So. You know, I mean, that's a tough loss, but I, I think I think Florida should be able to manage, especially because Napier's always been able to put together some pretty good O-lines. Um, but we'll lean right into that of some of the guys that are returning, you know, some of these key pieces that are coming back for another season. 
go ahead and list me a few of the the guys that you're really excited to see for another season and the impact that you think they could have. Yeah, I think right off the bat, the the two players I'm most excited for is the running back duo of Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. Obviously, you know, they can't do it all by themselves. It, it will depend on how good the offensive line is. But I, I think regardless, I think Napier will do enough uh, to have a, a really solid offensive line this year, especially with guys returning like uh, Austin Barber, Richie Leonard. Uh, he's currently day-to-day, but Kingsley Glockwood I think will be pretty good. Um, but just looking at those two running backs, uh, they were so talented last year. I, I think they offer, you know, such a, a you know, two-punch uh, thing. Where you know you have uh, versatility, speed. Uh, they're both pretty strong backs, uh, and then you look at those two, and they really stood out last season for me. And I, I see a lot of people when they talk about running back duos, I, I don't see include them, and so uh, I think that's just a little uh, remiss, just because I feel like they're going to be one of the more talented running back groups in the the season. Especially just because Napier, he loves to lean on his run-heavy offense. He was like that under Richardson. Uh, I imagine with Graham Mertz under center, it'll still be the same. So I'd say those two I'm really excited about. Um, I'm excited to see what the secondary will look like. Uh, I'm pretty high on Jason Marshall Jr. He's going into his third season. I I think he'll be able to take a leap, especially with Corey Raymond coaching him now. Um, And try and help get Florida back to, you know, obviously a lot of teams – Try and take this title, but you know if Florida <clears throat> wants to make a case for being DBU, I think a player like Jason Marshall has to step up um, and play, you know, to his you know recruiting level that he was, you know, five star going into to UF. Um, trying to think of just some other players who I think will be exciting who came back. I think Chris McClellan, he showed a lot of flashes uh, on the defensive line. He'll be good. And then honestly, I, I'm really excited to see how Desmond Watson, another year of him. Um, I know it's kind of hard for him to stay on the field just because how big he is, but I mean it's hard not to get excited about a defensive a, a lineman who's 420 pounds. Um, you know he just had so many monster plays. I remember against USF, uh, he basically picked up like the running back and like threw him down for a tackle. And then I think my favorite play from last season uh, against South Carolina, he uh, stripped the ball from the running back. And he starts taking off. You just you're watching this 430 man try and run towards the end zone, and Spencer Radler tried to tackle him, and he stiff armed him. So I'd say those guys are some of the the more uh, exciting players returning. No, those are fun, and anyone over 400 pounds and being an effective football player is so interesting to see. Because I mean, that's just a massive human being, just in general, and them being a beast on the football on the football field is even more impressive. Two guys you didn't name that I did want to bring up. Um, the first one, uh, uh, Kamari Wilson, really liked him coming out. Um, really excited to see what he could kind of continue to grow into, especially because he's just a really good athlete, and having a really good athlete at the safety spot is never a bad thing. So I'm excited to see what, what he can do and, and what he can do in that safety room. But uh, a player that Georgia fans might be familiar with or, or, or some people that follow the team, Jalen Kimber, obviously going into his second season with Florida. Um, I know um, – he flashed a couple times, you know, his freshman season with Georgia, but, um, you know, dealt with a lot of injuries, hasn't been the perfect player. Um, but a guy that I really liked when he was coming into the program, and I thought that him and, and Keeley honestly would be a pretty interesting duo together. So I'm, see, I'm excited to see what he can possibly do, possibly as like another boundary guy on the opposite side of Jason Marshall, who I too am really high on. And 
and could see really big things from, especially if he kind of puts things together, especially with a new DB coach. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't believe I forgot Kamari because um, he, he was a guy I wanted to talk about, especially not just because, you know, personally I am high on him as well. You know, he's another one of those highly touted recruits who I, I think is going to make waves this season. Um, and just on top of that, you know, the, from my what I've seen from spring practices and how the coaches have talked about it from spring practices, um, you know, he's really shown a lot of flashes and improvement from last season. And I think on top of that, too, I think one of the biggest things that coaches at least have you know talked about him is that, you know, he's really taken a leadership role um, in the secondary room. And I, I think that's huge for this team because, it, you know, across the board, it's a very young team. But especially if you look at that secondary room, I, I think they have two seniors in the safety room, uh, Jadarius Perkins and um, I can't remember the other senior. And RJ Moten, I believe. Yeah, RJ Moten, who that, and, you know, even then he was a transfer, so he hasn't been with the team, you know, extended amount of time. And then they have uh, one senior in the, the cornerback room. So you look at this very young team of a guy like Kamari Wilson, who's, you know, one of the younger guys stepping up, taking leadership. I, I think that's huge. And then, you know, you talked about Jalen Kimber. You know, he's a guy, like you said, he, he uh, had some flashes for Florida this season or this past season. Um with such a young team, it'll be interesting how they want to roll out, roll it out in terms of playing time and dividing up snaps. Um, I think a guy like Jason Marshall will be probably the lead guy, but after that, it'll be interesting who else they roll out with him. Oh, absolutely. And, and again, Kimber, Kimber was a guy that I thought he's got a, he's got a lot of something there, but considering that he's, you know, I mean, redshirt junior, he's the oldest guy in that group. I am curious to kind of see what they end up doing with him and how much they use him as a player and, you know, I mean, is this his last year? Is he going to show enough to, to be able to go out, or is he going to need his, his redshirt senior season? It'll be curious to see what he does. But and, and you mentioned spring, but before we can even get to spring, I do want to talk about some of the new additions. Uh, we, we touched on guys like R.J. Moten, who provides some depth to that, that secondary, but who are some of the, like, the really high-profile freshmen or even um, some of those interesting transfers that are coming in that could make a big impact for this team right away? Yeah, for in terms of like transfers that they brought in, uh, a few guys that I'm pretty interested in are, uh, you know, starting with that offensive line, they brought in Damian George from Alabama and then Micah Mazuka from Baylor. Um, and, you know, those are guys who I don't think they got a ton of playing time at their respective schools, uh, but they're just, you know, very big guys. I, I think the theme of Napier in the transfer portal is he just wanted very large men um, that he could develop into – good football players. You know, you look at Damian George, I haven't pulled up. He's 6'6", 348. Zuka, 6'5", 335. You know, he, he just wanted to beef up the line. Um, and I think he accomplished that. Uh, and then, you know, flip side, looking at the defensive line, uh, I know he wanted to get a lot of depth for that too. Um, I know going back, talking about, quickly about Dexter, you know, he was so talented, but they lacked so much depth on that line that he had to play so many stat, snaps. Um, I think that really reduced his role in terms of what he could have been doing in terms of the impact and the numbers. But he brought in Cameron Jackson from Memphis, who I, I think will be a talented player. And then he brought in Caleb Banks from Louisville, who um, didn't get a ton of playing time, but he is a, you know, a very athletic player, very strong player. And I think those two guys have a chance, even if they're not starters, uh, just as rotation guys to make a pretty big impact on the defense this year, just having so much more, you know, reinforcements, firepower on that defensive line compared to last season. And then looking at the uh, recruiting class coming in, I think it's hard to look at this class 
um, for some people um, and get too excited just because I feel like it's always going to have that stain of the Rashada situation. Um, you know, you know, Jaden Rashada, five-star quarterback, there's a whole NIL debacle with that. But I, I think until you look at this rooting class, and it's still one of the more talented ones in the country, you know, I think ranked uh, 13th in the composite, so top 15 class. Uh, and for me, I, I look at the wide receivers, and that's really where I get excited. Um, Florida lost a lot of wide receivers this season. Um, and even though I, I don't think they were the, the biggest losses, uh, guys like Xavier Henderson going to the transfer portal, going to Cincinnati, um, you know, those are guys who still played a lot regardless. But then you bring in guys like Eugene Wilson, uh, four-star, Andy Jean, four-star wide receiver. Um, there's one more, Aiden Mizell. Um, you know, they've all been showing flashes in training camp. Andy Jean uh, is a guy in particular I'm really excited about just because uh, I, I like his build. I, I like what I've seen so far um, just in camp from his high school tape, things like that. I, I think he has the chance to be a really exciting wide receiver and player in Florida. Yeah, yeah, no, I – and again, I do think it, it's a it's a group that needs an infusion of youth, and I think getting uh, getting guys like Aiden Mizell, um, who I really uh, am excited about. I mean, just a bit a guy with good size, about six two, with some speed to him. Like I'm excited to see what he can bring to this team, and I'm excited, and I love to hear that you talk that you're talking about guys like Andy Jean, because just fun players, and I'm excited to see what this this team can really work with, but. I think it'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the biggest transfer portal addition that they brought in, Graham Mertz. Um, started recently named starting quarterback uh, for the team. Um, you know, uh, it, it's tough because unlike some of the other transfer portal additions, uh, like Peyton Thorne, who I mean could have a bounce back year, Graham Mertz um, going into his fifth year, I believe, um, has not shown much at Wisconsin when he was there, and I, I wasn't a big fan of his game. But we've seen before people transfer, people move teams, and they figure things out wherever they find themselves by just being in a different location. Uh, it's not a quarterback, but best one I point to is Evan Ingram's jump from the Giants to the Jaguars at the tight end position. He went from disappointing to top 10 tight end in the league just by switching a team. So Graham Mertz could absolutely have that kind of jump. But I wanted to ask you, what do you think of Mertz? What do you think of him as, as the starter, especially because of the Rashada situation? You don't really have anybody particularly behind him, any big names necessarily. So what do you think of Mertz? What do you think of him as the, the new starter? Yeah, I think with Mertz, um, he's a guy who um, I'd say I, I'm higher on than most uh, people who look at him. Uh, just because you know, obviously his numbers are not are not great for Wisconsin. He he wasn't the most consistent player at times. Um, you know, starting over there. Uh, but I I think you look at him and you look at this Florida offense, and it's like if he can just do enough, if he can be a, a decent game manager, which I I do think he has the potential to be. Um, just because you know he showed that he could do that at times at Wisconsin. Um, and you know he'll be under a new offensive system here at Florida, where I, I think he'll thrive a lot more. Um, than he did in Wisconsin. I think he'll have the ability to be, you know, a decent starter. And I think that's that's the biggest thing um, for Mertz. And I think that's so tough with, like, how he gets perceived just because of the whole situation. Because, you you know, you have it originally where Rashad is supposed to come in. He's a five-star quarterback. Uh, you have the Mertz transfer. And then it's like, okay, it's fine. They got Mertz because they have a five-star freshman who's going to be really exciting who can 
possibly take over if Mertz isn't all that we think. But now that the Rashada situation ended the way it did, you know, they have Jack Miller behind them, who, <clears throat> you know, was a, a, high, a pretty highly rated recruit, I believe five-star when he went to Ohio State, um, but then never really played and then went to Florida and did not look great in the bowl game. Uh, and then you have Max Brown, who I, I know some people uh, are higher on him. I'm I'm not particularly the highest on Max Brown, uh, so I don't see too much there. So I, I never really saw too much competition in the, in the QB QB room, as even though Billy Napier made it seem like it was it was a very tight race all up until he actually named Mertz as the starter. But you know I, I look at a lot of the the SEC QB rankings through different outlets, and I, I see a lot of people put Mertz last. I don't think he'll be the worst quarterback in the SEC. I don't think he's going to be top five. I don't think he's going to be, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the conference. But I do think he has the potential to be that mid-tier. And, you know, if he's, you know, halfway, like the seventh best QB in the conference, I think that's more than enough for this team to be really good or good, you know, in general. So I'd say even though I do have higher expectations on him than most people, uh, I, I think even then it's still tempered at. I think he'll do just enough to help the Gators, um, you know, make a bowl game. That makes sense. And, uh, I mean, I but I think something we definitely both can agree on is he is no Anthony Richardson. Um, which, I mean, those guys are so few and far between that even bringing that up is kind of unfair to anybody. But, yeah, very different type of quarterback than Florida's had in the past couple of years. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's definitely an interesting adjustment. Um, you know, going from a guy like Anthony Richardson to Graham Mertz, uh, it's, it's definitely, definitely interesting. I, I, I've seen like some people talk about that, you know, he won't make the same mistakes that Anthony Richardson did, but even then, I, I think it's just much more fun to watch with Anthony Richardson because, I mean, he just, he, he can sling it all over the field. He, he can just jump over dudes or run right through them. You know, there's, like you said, those guys are few and far between, so you know you really gotta cherish them when they're at your school. Absolutely, and and yeah, it, it's interesting to see kind of where where this offense will go and what direction it goes because it's it's very young uh, aside from Mertz, um, but no, it's a really intriguing offense. But I know you got to see a little bit of it, a bit of it during the spring and, and stuff like that. Um, and before we even get to the game itself, kind of from practice, we talked about Kamari and, and the fact of the fact that he's kind of getting a lot of buzz out of that spring game. But who else were you kind of hearing out of practice? You know, who, who was really standing out? Um, which names kept popping up? Yeah. Uh, just looking at some of the names, like, obviously, I've already mentioned him, but I'll mention him again. Andy Jean, you know, not only was I just excited about him in general when I saw that he, you know, officially committed and signed to Florida, but, you know, just getting to watch him in training camp and then talking to everyone else, uh, you know, about him. They all love him. Talking to, you know, Ricky Pearsall, who is, uh, you know, the wide receiver one at UF. You know, he said it himself, like, Andy Jean's the real deal. Like, he's going to have a lot of Florida fans excited. Uh, I wish I could have seen – I know we're not talking about it yet, but I, I wish I could have seen a little bit more from him from the spring game. But I, I still think he is, you know, could have a really big season in year one at Florida. Um, trying to look at some other names. Uh, I know the offensive line uh, has been looking a lot better. Guys like, again – Richie Leonard, Kingsley Gawkwin, um, have been looking really solid. And then, again, with that defensive line, I, I know these are all guys I've already mentioned, but uh, guys like Caleb Banks, uh, Cameron Jackson, the two transfers, uh, I know they've really impressed Sean Spencer, the defensive line coach. 
Um, you know, he was raving about them uh, back in spring. So those are some of the guys that I'd say were standing out in spring ball. Um, and then obviously we pivot to the game. You know, I mean, how was that? You know, I know Florida's got a few position battles to kind of figure out. So did anybody kind of separate themselves in those positional battles? Um, you know, spring game was not too exciting. I, I don't know if you saw anything of it. It ended 10-7. Um, I'd say on, on, uh, if you just look at the score, you probably wouldn't see it, but I, I think Graham Mertz definitely outplayed Jack Miller. I think right then and there is when he truly just separated himself as the starter, even though Napier didn't name him as that until months later. Um, you know, he was just, he was able to push the ball down the field. He was able to find receivers much easier. He just looked a lot more comfortable in the pocket than Jack Miller. Um, trying to think about some of the other positions. Uh, I know a guy like Deuce Spurlock looked really good in the uh, linebacker role. He's another transfer from Michigan, uh, along with R.J. Moden. So uh, I think he has the potential to be, you know, one of those guys who plays a lot, just as one of those linebackers who's able to seal up gaps, um, make those tackles, um, you know, bridge the gap. And then I'm trying to think, the the one position I'd say that I don't know is is fully set and – you know, it can win or lose you a ball game, and it, it kind of worried me for Florida. Is honestly kicker. Uh, they only rolled out one kicker for uh, field goals, and he went one for three. It was uh, Trey Smack. He missed a 24 yarder, a 47 yarder, and then I, I don't remember the distance of his game winner um, off the top of my head, but I think it was like between 25 and 30 yards. Uh, but regardless, I, I know they have another guy. Um, his name's Adam, and I'm, I know I'm going to butcher his last name because I don't hear it enough. It's like Machulicek. Um And I remember he was just a, a pretty average kicker last season. So I, I think those are one of those positions where it's like you don't really think about it, but, you know, that can win or lose you a ball game. Um, so that's one I'm pretty interested to see if it will be Trey Smack or if, you know, someone else stands out to be the new kicker this season no definitely I mean have it have a not a great kicker is 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 tough and I know and it's weird to talk about because it was before either national championships but I know I mean you go back to Jack Podlesny with Georgia with that game-winning field goal against Cincinnati I mean he doesn't hit that like nearly 50 yarder I mean Georgia doesn't win that bowl game and you know it's a very different look going into that offseason um but yeah, uh, the kicker is incredibly important, and, and it's not very reassuring to know that a kicker is missing twenty yard kicks. Um, I say that fully from from the knowledge that could I make a thirty yard kick? Absolutely not. But I do I do say from the analysis perspective of you do need your kickers to make those twenty yarders, um, just from a consistency standpoint. Oh, of course, yeah. It's it's one of those things where it's like you know if the if the kicker turned to me and said, okay, well you try it, you know. I'd say no way. That's not my job. So, you know, I'm I'm only out here to to write about it. I'm not here to actually do it. So yeah, that's where that's where my skill sets lie in writing and stuff like that, not kicking. So I'll I'll let you take care of that, and I'll sit in my in my high up press box and say that you need to make your kicks better, even though I I fully know I couldn't do it myself. But you know, we talk a lot about spring game. We talk a lot about off, off season. I think it's a perfect time to transition into looking at the season ahead. Of course, Georgia and Florida play. They're going to play each other forever and ever. I mean, the location is TBD right now, but I mean, they're going to be playing each other until the end of time. It feels like. But let's take a look at the rest of Florida's schedule. Who's who are they playing? What does it kind of look like? And uh, yeah, what's the landscape of their schedule? 
So yeah, they'll open the season at Utah, um, but this time they'll go to Utah. Um, they're the 14th ranked team in the country, so that's set to be a very good game. Um, I, I know a lot of people are talking about how difficult Florida's schedule this year, um, so you know it'll be good just to see Florida play so many highly rated opponents. Uh, they'll have Tennessee at home this season. Um, they'll play at Kentucky, obviously Georgia. Um, looking at besides LSU, who they play every season, they'll go to you know Death Valley. LSU's number five. Uh, they'll also play Arkansas this season at home, where they're going to debut their black jer- black jerseys for the first time ever. So uh, that'll be pretty exciting to see. And then obviously FSU, top ten team. So you know they'll play one, two, three, four, five teams who are ranked in the AP top fifteen. So that'll be very interesting to see just how they fare against teams like that. Um, you know, obviously there's going to be some talent gaps here and there, especially with a team like Georgia, for example. Uh, but I think Florida has the chance, you know, to possibly upset a couple of these teams. I mean, they almost did last season against Tennessee and FSU, and those are both on the road. They season both at home. Uh, I know, obviously, not having a guy like AR can change that. But I think if you see improvements on, like, the defense, for example, I think that makes a huge difference as well and can make up for not having a quarterback like Richardson. Um but yeah, looking at the schedule, it's definitely one of the more top ones in the SEC. But I think that's good for, especially having a young team, getting them that kind of experience. No, definitely. Comparing Florida and Georgia's schedules are is kind of night and day in difficulty, um, for sure. I mean, considering that you got to go, you got to go to LSU, you got to play Arkansas, who is definitely no sleeper team, um, and then Utah, Florida State, also non-conference. I mean, that's that's a brutal. SEC West and non-conference opponents, let alone still having to play Tennessee and Georgia. But you do get Tennessee at home. And, I mean, I talked to a lot of the guys at, at SEC Media Day about how fun it is to play in the swamp. And, I mean, a lot of those, I mean, especially because it would just be fun to see the Georgia-Florida game in the swamp and in Athens because we know how loud those places can get. We saw it against Tennessee, and I would not be surprised if the swamp brought the same level of energy that Georgia did against Tennessee. So, I'll be excited to see that game, and especially the black jerseys. You know, I, I'm a sucker for black jerseys, so I'm excited to see that as well. But, you know, before uh, before we get to kind of reasonable and, and, and we start talking about expectations record-wise, I got to get a bold take. I got to get something bold. I got to get something daring. So give me if, – if, if you got one, you got two, you can hit me with them, but what's your bold take for this season? Let me. I'll, I'll give you my bold take. So uh, I'll give you one – Florida related, and then I'll give you one non-Florida related. Uh, I'll go. I'll go bold take. I feel like I, it, like you say it, and it doesn't seem bold on paper, but just with the way people have talked about Florida this season, I, I feel like it's pretty bold. Uh, I'd say you know if Graham Mertz is perfectly fine and the defense is improved where it should be, uh, this team can go nine and three. Um, so that's my that's my Florida bold take, and then my my non. Florida bold take is that uh, I, I again I, I feel like on paper doesn't seem bold based on their ranking, but I, I just look at it and I, I think USC will not just make the college football playoff, but they'll be in the national championship. So Caleb Williams is the truth. Whoa, Caleb Williams truth are out here. Okay, okay, very interesting. I mean. I mean, he's going to go number one. He's he is he akin to Anthony Richardson is one of those electric type of quarterbacks. So, I mean, hey, if anybody's going to get anyone to a national championship, Caleb Williams feels like the type of guy to do it. 
but Florida winning nine and th- nine wins. I mean, yeah, no, it's not ten wins, and I know people kind of might be like, ah, well, not even ten wins. Again, we just ran through some of their their toughest schedules. Out of all of those teams, to escape with only three losses would be insane. You know, because Utah is not going to be an easy matchup. Florida State is not going to be an easy matchup. Georgia is not going to be an easy matchup. LSU is not going to be an easy matchup. Tennessee is not going to be an easy matchup. And then Arkansas could even give you trouble. So you have to win at least half of those games alone to get through that, plus avoid any, like, weird, you know, college football. You know, I mean, we didn't talk about it much, but I think um, – I mean, I know Florida fans kind of considered the Vander the Vanderbilt loss a low light. So, you know, those those that's college football. Those things can happen. So that's avoiding all of that and then still escaping with only three losses to those teams. That would be tremendous for Florida. And I think that would be ecstatic, especially you look back at the season, you see the teams that they would have to beat to do that. So that'd be really interesting to see. That's that's incredibly bold. Thank you. I, I try. I had to, I had to come with, with uh, some extra spice. No, you absolutely did, and I appreciate it. You know, I mean, we've 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 heard a few different things, but no, that's again, that's one of the ones that you re- that again, surface level, sure, maybe not, but you you think about it for a second, and you're like, wow, that would be that would be a crazy season for Florida. But being how crazy that was, let's take it down a little bit. Let's settle back in for the, to wrap up this podcast. Let's talk about let's talk about the season. You know, let's get a ceiling. Uh, which I think we got with that, that nine and three, uh, unless you think they could even go higher. But let's go ahead and talk about Florida's floor and as well and and meet right in the middle of your genuine expectations for Florida this season. So yeah, I'd say um, looking at the floor, I, I, you look at that schedule; it's just so tough playing five teams in the top fifteen, and then even the teams who aren't ranked are still really good. Um, <clears throat> I'd say the floor is probably five and seven. Uh, I, I still expect them they play teams like I didn't mention McNeese State, Charlotte. I think they'll win those games. I, I think they'll get a bounce back win against Vanderbilt. Um, <clears throat> and then looking at everybody else, I, I think five and seven is very realistic as like worst possible scenario. Uh, I'd say my realistic expectation is probably seven and five. I, I know worst quarterback. Uh, on paper from last season and a, a very difficult schedule. But I look at the improvements defensively, and I think that's very important for Florida. And obviously I mentioned that if that goes as well as it does, I, I think nine and three could be possible is like their absolute ceiling. But I, I think seven and five, uh, like I mentioned, you know, McNeese State, Charlotte Vanderbilt, I, I think they win those three games. I think, you know, having Arkansas, Florida State, Tennessee all at home, um, they're going to be really tough matchups. But I think being able to play in the swamp um, will be huge, especially since, you know, the Tennessee and Florida State games last year were one-score games. Um, And then, you know, I look at South Carolina, a team last year that they destroyed. They'll go into South Carolina this season. Spencer Adler is still a talented quarterback, uh, but I still think the Gators will have, you know, some sort of edge. Um, So I I think 7-5. and could be, you know, a realistic jump for year two for Billy Napier. No, absolutely. And and I think that I think that's definitely reasonable. I think seven wins. I think they'll make a bowl. I think Florida's a talented enough team to absolutely make a bowl in, in some way, some form. But, you know, I'm curious how they're going to do it because, again, it's a tough schedule. It's a tough road to get there, and I'm, I'm just excited to see this Florida team. And, of course, I'm as always, I'm always excited to see the Georgia-Florida rivalry back oh, yeah. again. 
It'll be exciting. It'll it'll definitely be interesting because obviously Georgia is still going to be a very talented team, uh, but with new quarterback. So you know that'll be interesting to see, you know what it looks like. I I, I think Florida's still maybe one or two more years away, uh, from you know having a real chance in that game. But you know anything can happen in a rivalry game. So uh, I think it'll be exciting nonetheless. I, I think you saw even last season, you know that third quarter got just a little tight. Anthony Richardson made some nice throws. Um, until Georgia eventually pulled away. No, absolutely. And, and I mean, Florida recruits really, really well. Billy Napier has always done a really good job at that. So I think Florida continues on the path they're on. I think it's going to continue to get back to what it was a couple years ago when Kyle Pitts was there and, and, and uh, Kyle Trask and stuff like that. But it's really fun. You will, we'll be able to talk even more about the quarterback situation once we talk once again uh, the week of that game. But until then... Jackson, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me, man. Uh, but I wanted to give you a time uh, at the end of this to uh, just go ahead and plug or shout out whatever you'd like and uh, tell people where they can find you. All right. Uh, again, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, you know, always love talking about Gators football. And again, uh, excited to, uh, you know, talk about the Florida-Georgia game, you know, once that rolls around because, you know, that's always one of the highlights of my season, just getting to, you know, talk about that game, watch that game. Uh, experience all of that um but yeah uh you can check me out at my twitter which is you know at jackson which is my name j-a-c-k-s-n and then r-e-y-e-s uh and then you can also check out the alligator sports coverage on twitter instagram um you know similar to the red and black we cover all the sports at our university at uf uh so yeah check out those um Again, thank you for having me on. Uh, it was a pleasure. No, absolutely. It was an absolute blast. Thank you again, Jackson.